And before we pray, I just want to um, make you aware that Levi is called Matthew uh, elsewhere. And so um, we are, this Levi here in Luke chapter 5 is the Matthew that we read about in Matthew's gospel, who wrote Matthew's gospel, who became one of the twelve disciples. Uh, Secondly, uh, I would like to treat verses 31 and 32 a little bit more than I'm able to this morning. I think we will be able to look at that uh, in relation to the new and old wineskins next week in a little more detail. Let's go to the Lord. Almighty God, as you have uh, given us your word, as it has been read Um, and heard by your people, and God, I pray you would help me to uh, proclaim your word faithfully. I pray that you would give us all um, eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to believe. We ask through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I assume that you have heard, as I have heard, Uh, this past couple of weeks, that there are stores that are starting to stock Christmas uh, products. Um, Seems early, but if there were not a demand from the public, I guess they wouldn't be doing it. So I I guess it's our fault that uh, Christmas starts uh, a month before Halloween, or as we say, Reformation. Uh, Sunday. Um, In about two weeks, I'm sorry, in about two months, we're going to be celebrating Thanksgiving. As Thanksgiving arrives, all the malls and many other stores, you'll uh, have the Salvation Army uh, bell ringers out collecting money. Have you ever wondered where the Salvation Army came from? Well, here's the story. William Booth was the founder of the Salvation Army. Uh, It began with uh, Booth's efforts to lead the homeless who were uh, living in uh, East London. Uh, It was was his efforts to lead the homeless to Christ. And this was during the latter part of the 1800s. I think he started his ministry around the 1860s. Uh, And... Uh, God gave him grace to proclaim Christ faithfully. Many of the homeless uh, began coming to Christ. Uh, His converts mainly consisted of alcoholics and morphine addicts, prostitutes, and other undesirables that were unwelcome in polite society. And the rich were happy to support Booth's efforts. Um, The converts were even allowed to come to church as long as they did not come through the same door as everybody else, as long as they sat outside the view, and I think even more importantly, the uh, smell of the regular congregation members. This was unacceptable to William Booth. So one Sunday, he ushered the newly uh, converted undesirables 
into the very best seats in the congregation. And this so scandalized the self-righteous and self-important people in the church that they ran Booth and all his new converts right out of the church. And that's how the Salvation, uh, the Salvation Army got its start. May we never treat anybody in like manner here at Westminster Presbyterian. Our Lord Jesus loves sinners. Every page of the four Gospels exemplifies and amplifies Christ's love for undeserving sinners. But our passage this morning is especially keen for us to learn this truth, that Jesus loves sinners. You know, we, Jesus had 12 disciples, but we only learn of how a small handful of them actually were converted and became his followers. But in Matthew's gospel, Mark's gospel, and of course in Luke's gospel in our passage, all three tell how Luke became a disciple. The reason uh, Levi's conversion is retold in three different gospels is because he's an object lesson to teach us that Jesus Christ delights to seek the outcast, to seek the guilty to, to, in order to display his abundant and overflowing love to the worst of sinners. Levi is an object lesson proclaiming Jesus' love because Levi, or as we also know him as Matthew, was a tax collector. It's a truism that no one likes the tax man, right? Uh, but tax collectors in Jesus' day were especially unpopular. To help us understand how despised tax collectors were, we can compare them to modern-day professions. They were more hated than overzealous um, parking meter readers. They were more hated than than phone solicitors. Uh, They were even more detested than lawyers. Uh, The Jews considered tax collectors as the lowest of the low. They they, They considered them traitors because they were filling the Roman treasury with Jewish money. And the tax collectors were Jewish men who had subcontracted themselves out to the Romans. And uh, they would the way the, the tax collectors made their money is they would charge over and above what the Romans uh, required of the people. And, the, and Rome required a lot. There were poll taxes, there were land taxes, there were income taxes, there were road taxes, there were port taxes. And on top of all this, these tax collectors were adding on surcharges uh, for the privilege of the people paying the tax collectors what they owed to Rome. And apparently these tax collectors would, would charge a great deal more than Rome was re- requiring because these tax collectors uh, became very, very wealthy. And collecting so many taxes 
gave these tax collectors many opportunities to be corrupt. Uh, so it's not surprising that the tax collectors were filthy rich. Their, their graft, um, their corruption was so great that every tax collector was assumed to be a thief. And the Pharisees considered the tax collectors to be ceremonially unclean because they were considered to be ta- to be uh, thieves and they associated regularly with uh, with Gentiles yet Jesus chose such a man to be part of his inner circle to be one of his 12 disciples and Matthew Mark and Luke seem to celebrate Jesus is choosing Levi, this tax collector, by including uh, Levi's conversion in each of their Gospels. To underscore Christ's determination to save sinners, Levi was in the process of collecting taxes when Jesus came along. In other words... Levi had not abandoned his tax collector's booth to go out and seek Jesus. There were crowds following Jesus. But not Levi. He stayed put. He was on the job. He was going to stay there and he was going to collect as much money as he could. Verse 27 says that he was sitting at the tax booth. And there were crowds following Jesus He was simply doing what tax collectors do, collecting other people's money. And so Jesus uh, came along. You know, there's a mistaken notion that Jesus came to save people who are interested in being saved. Uh, Or Jesus came to seek uh, and save the good people um, that wanted to be saved but just needed a little help getting over the hump. You know, I've told the story before of sharing the, pe- sharing the gospel with people in Uganda. And we had come up on uh, a, a small little, well, it was a, two or three houses, um, which were actually mud huts within a, uh, a circle of banana trees. And we came up and the people had been there. They had been drinking some... Um, some uh, moonshine, I guess you'd say, out of these gourds. And when you would see what was, as they were pouring it into their mouth, it looked like muddy water. But it was alcoholic, uh, apparently quite potent, because they were, they were drinking it and they were drunk. And the woman of the house, uh, as, as, as I'm talking to them about the gospel, she asked me, how could God save me? when I'm getting drunk while I'm talking to you. And I told her that she did not need to get sober in order to get saved. Uh, That was to turn the gospel upside down. Uh, You don't get cleaned up to take a bath. Take a bath to get cleaned up. And so um, you come to Jesus just as you are. Uh, And He cleans you up by forgiving you of your sins, by removing and replacing your rebellious heart, by sending the Holy Spirit to take up residence in your soul. So you come to Jesus, 
And He does the cleansing. He does the transforming. To think that you've got to be a good person, to think that you've got to be to make all these changes in your life before you can come to Jesus is to turn the gospel upside down. Our Lord Jesus came to save sinners. He didn't come to save people who have made themselves worthy enough to be saved. Listen to the scriptures. Romans chapter 4 verse 5. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted to him as righteousness. Or Romans um, chapter uh, 5 verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for, for the ungodly. Not for the people who are worthy. Not for the people who are righteous. Not for the good people that come to church. He came to die for the ungodly. Romans 5, 8. God shows His love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, if you be patient with me, I want to take us on a, on a short, not so short, rabbit trail. Um, because Levi is not only an object lesson teaching us of Jesus' love for sinners, Levi also illustrates the process by which a person comes to know Jesus Christ. Levi illustrates for us the process of getting saved. If you've never entrusted yourself to Jesus Christ and you're sitting in the pew like Levi was sitting in the tax collector's booth, please allow Levi's conversion to be a roadmap for how you can become a follower of Jesus Christ. So first of all, as I've already mentioned, you must come to an understanding that you are ungodly, that you are unworthy of God's love, and that you only deserve God's displeasure and condemnation. Levi was a thief. Levi was a traitor to his people. Levi was greedy. Levi, it would appear, had no concerns for the Lord Jesus Christ as he's sitting there in his tax collector's booth. Sadly, this is something that you will never come um, to believe on your own, that you are unworthy, that you are worthy only of God's displeasure and condemnation. You won't, you won't come to this on your own. Uh, Jesus here took the initiative with Levi. Levi sitting there. Jesus says to him, verse 28, or at the end of verse 27, Come, follow me. We see no uh, initiative on Levi's part. We see no interest in Jesus Christ, in Levi, until Jesus first called him. In other words, your salvation is in God's hands and not your own hands. Our God is the sovereign God. He determines who will be saved. John 6, 44. No man 
can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And in that sermon in John chapter 6, Jesus, in case they missed it when he said it in verse 44, he said it again at the end of his sermon in verse 65. He said, I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. One of the greatest reasons why people are slow to entrust themselves to Jesus Christ is that they believe that they have God on a rope. You know, kind of like um, a, a rope that you would use to, to ring the, the, the bellhop, you know, in a, in, or, or the butler in a great mansion. You know, you'd ring and uh, Lurch would sure show up. You rang. Um, and so God would would show up whenever they finally decided to do God a favor and give him their faith and their trust, or to give him the best thing that they have, to give their heart to Jesus. But people outside Jesus uh, have hearts that are rebellious to God. Their hearts are actually the worst thing that they have to offer to God. What would God want with a rebellious, God-hating heart. Unless you say to God, God, I'll give you my heart so that you can kill it and give me a new one. Or as Ezekiel says, God will take away our heart of stone and give us a new heart, a heart of flesh. The simple act of believing and repenting is impossible without the Holy Spirit's aid. If you don't believe, it's because God has not yet drawn you to Himself. So I urge you this morning, if you're not a believer, call out to God for mercy. Ask God to grant you faith in Jesus Christ. Because you just won't do it on your own if you wait for your own timing. And many people want to wait. And I would say that's a dangerous thing to do. Ask God to give you mercy. When God calls a person to Himself, the Bible teaches that person does come. The Bible talks about a general call to salvation. That general call goes out to all mankind. Today is the day for salvation, the Bible says. But there's also a specific call. An effective call we read about in the uh, Shorter Catechism this morning. Or an um, effectual call. And it goes out to specific individuals. And when a person receives this call, they come to Jesus. Jesus spoke of this effectual call in John chapter 6 when he says, All that the Father gives to me will come to me. doesn't say might doesn't say that they may. It says, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up at last day. John chapter 6, verses 37 through 39. John chapter 10, the passage about the good shepherd. Jesus says, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. 
a little later in that same passage, it says that his, his, um, that they follow him. Acts thirteen forty eight. Scripture says, as many as were appointed for eternal life believed. And I know we'd like to switch that passage around and to say that as many as believed had eternal life. But that's not what this passage says. It says, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Because when God calls a person, they believe. When He calls them effectively, when He calls them by the Holy Spirit. Up until the moment Jesus called Levi, Levi was a greedy man. Uh, he cared more for himself than he did other people. He was willing to extort money from other people in the name of Rome in order that he could re- enrich himself. But when Jesus called Levi by the inward uh, compulsion of the Holy Spirit, look what Levi did. He followed. Look again at your scriptures, um, verses 27 and 28. And after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me and leaving everything behind. Or leave, and leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Levi followed Christ's call because the Holy Spirit worked conversion in in Levi. The Holy Spirit gave Levi faith to trust in Jesus Christ, to trust Christ unreservedly. Uh, he left everything behind in order to follow Christ. That is a God-given faith. Would you be willing to leave everything behind? Would you be willing to leave behind a lucrative career if it was only left up to you? If it wasn't God working faith in you. It's something that Levi, this faith, this, this ability to leave everything was not something Levi produced on his own. Every person who receives saving faith in Jesus Christ also receives grace to repent of their sins. Levi made a definitive break with his old life of greed and self-concern. He let go of everything that stood in the way of him following Jesus Christ. As we move through the Gospel of Luke, we're going to meet several people who professed that they wanted to follow Jesus Christ, but they were unwilling to let go of the things in their life uh, that they would have to let go in order to follow Jesus. We're going to meet the young rich ruler, for instance, who sadly loved his wealth and would not follow the Lord Jesus. It became clear in the case of the young rich ruler and to others that we'll meet that they never really had faith to trust Christ and to let go of that which stood in the way of them following the Lord Jesus. Remember how the Lord Jesus said, um, foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, son of man has no place to lay his head. It's in Matthew chapter 8, and two different people turned away from following Jesus Christ because they were unwilling to let go of those things. But here we have Levi, 
who receives the call of faith from the Lord Jesus Christ, immediately he leaves everything. Closely tied to faith and repentance is the life of discipleship. In other words, when you become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're willing to follow wherever the Lord Jesus leads. For me, it meant reorienting my life goals to become a pastor. Had God told me in high school before I became a Christian that he was going to call me to be a pastor, I would have fainted on the spot. Others, it means leaving their country to become a uh, foreign missionary. Most are not called into full-time ministry. But all must have a willingness to leave all to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Each one of you who are in Jesus Christ can tell me specific uh, stories of what you had to leave behind in order to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and follow Him. Because following Jesus Christ, trusting in Him, turning away from your sins and following Him is to turn to a life of discipleship. Are you here this morning and you want to be saved? The good news is that this desire is something that is uh, not produced all by yourself. It is the work of God's grace. And so humble yourself. Call upon Christ. Entrust yourself to Him. He is a Savior for sinners. He is a Savior that loves sinners. And when a person has understood their sinful condition and has trusted Christ for salvation, it's typical then that you'll want to tell others about your new relationship with Jesus Christ. And that was Levi's reaction. He invited Jesus uh, to his home and he threw a great big feast. And look who else he invited. He invited, as it says here um, in verse uh, 29, a large group or a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him. As he entered into the joy of his salvation. Levi wanted his friends to know Jesus Christ too. J.C. Ryle says that a converted man will not wish to go to heaven alone. You know, this is an important lesson for our congregation. Don't underestimate the power of your witness among your circle of friends. You may feel ill-equipped to tell them about the gospel and lead them to Christ. But you can say, come with me to church. Come with me to the ladies' Bible study. Come with me to the men's Saturday morning Bible study. Come and see, as, um, as uh, Philip told Nathaniel. Come and see. Come to church. Come to hear the gospel. The word of this feast got back to the Pharisees and scribes. What is Jesus doing eating and drinking with a bunch of tax collectors and sinners? Philip Ryken said that the Pharisees were, were the party poopers of the New Testament. 
And just like the rich churchgoers in East London who kicked uh, William Booth out of the church, the Pharisees and and scribes had not uh, really grasped that Jesus Christ had come to seek and to save sinners. They didn't understand that Jesus' mission was to seek and to save sinners because they did not understand that they needed forgiveness themselves, that they needed to be saved just as badly as a tax collector like Levi. So Jesus told them in verses 31 and 32, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The Pharisees didn't understand that Jesus was eating and drinking uh, with these these tax collectors because as our great physician, he was doing what doctors do. Doctors don't open their office for everybody who is well to come in and visit with them. The doctors run after the sick. The doctors open up their offices for the sick to come. The doctor's face is always turned toward those who need healing. Likewise, our Lord Jesus Christ always turns His face towards sinners, always turns His heart toward the guilty. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, and Christ came to seek sinners like us. Christ came to die for us. Christ came to cover our sins with His blood. He did not come to save the righteous. He came to save sinners. If you believe yourself to be righteous, if you believe yourself to be a better person than everybody else, a a head and shoulders above everyone else morally, you have no need of Christ and therefore will receive no mercy from Him. Seek Him as a sin-sick sinner. Our great physician came to save sinners. If we're going to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ, our congregation must be a hospital for sinners. We must always have our arms open wide uh, in a welcoming posture for sinners. If they don't fit into our typical sensibilities, we must find a way to welcome them and love them. We must be willing to deny ourselves to make them feel welcomed to make them feel wanted. They will not be able to be members of our congregation unless they exercise faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and and profess Him publicly. But we must do everything we can to love these people into the kingdom of God. The hot-button issue of our day and age is homosexuality. We believe homosexuality is a sin. The Word of God is clear. But if someone who is openly homosexual comes and visits and um, loves our congregation and wants to continue visiting from the moment they walk into the door, um, we must love them and receive them as Christ received uh, these tax collectors. If we reject them, James chapter 2 says that we become judges with evil thoughts, and our sin would be greater than theirs. 
Let us all look to the Lord Jesus Christ, the great physician of our souls. Let us look to Him for our righteousness. Let us look to Him for our forgiveness. Let us look to Him for our acceptance with the Father. For we, through Christ, are children of God. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus, we thank you that you opened your heart wide to sinners like Levi. We thank you that you opened your heart wide to us because we are sinners like Levi. Lord, the, the, the ground at the foot of the cross is always level. Uh, there is no perch for uh, those who are more righteous and a lower spot or pews at the back out of the, the way of everyone else for those who, um, who are greater sinners. Lord, we thank you that in our sin you loved us and in our sin you pursued us. And even though we were ungodly, you came to justify the ungodly. God, I pray that you would pour out your grace upon us, pour out your saving and your sanctifying grace as we love our Lord Jesus, the great physician of our souls. We ask in his name, amen.